be focusing on how to best manage and treat junctional hemorrhage. Real Emergency is, is produced in partnership with, with Hantevi, RealDX, and 410 Medical. It's powered by Prodigy EMS. And I am Hillary Gates, the Director of Educational Strategy at Prodigy EMS. We'd also like to thank Axon Studios, who are supporting the education for the podcast. You can also check us out on your favorite podcast platform or on the Real Emergency YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and like us on Facebook and Twitter. So I'm going to introduce all the great panelists today. Our resident experts uh, are David Spiro. He's a pediatric emergency physician and professor at the University of Arkansas Medical System. He's the chief medical officer of RealDX. Peter Antevi is a pediatric emergency medicine physician, EMS physician, and the founder of Pediatric Emergency Standards Incorporated. And Mark Peel is a pediatric intensivist at Wake Med in Raleigh, North Carolina, with Wake Med Mobile Critical Care. He's the founder and chief medical officer of 410 Medical. We also have with us Zach Dunlap, critical care paramedic and a clinical education spe specialist for 410. We're honored to have special guests today who are going to lend some additional expertise. Dr. Marvin Wayne has been the medical program director for the EMS system in Bellingham, Washington for 48 years. Top that. He's also an associate clinical <laughs> professor at the University of Washington's Department of Emergency Medicine. We have Scotty Boulder uh, and Jennifer Akai from the Center for Emergency Health Services, sorry, Emergency Health Sciences in Spring Branch, Texas. Scotty is a paramedic and chair of the center, and Jennifer is the lab director and anatomist. So let's get to it. And in this case, you're going to be watching footage from a police officer's body camera. He manages the first critical moments of a stabbing. Watch as he treats the patient's wound and manages the scene before EMS arrives. It's really impressive. The wound is in the hip and groin area, very difficult to control. And that's what we're really gonna focus on today. This, this patient also happens to be receiving CPR from his wife who is being instructed in, those, uh, in that intervention by the dispatcher. A lot to unpack today. Let's get started. Peter, Mark, David, Marv, all of you, over to you. All right, Hillary, thank you so much. This is exciting. Um, let me let me just bring in my uh, co-panelists, uh, Mark, David, Zach. You guys excited for today or what? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's incredible video we got today. We have we have a lot to go over, so um, let's get started. And I, I, we're trying to outdo ourselves because we, we have Scotty uh, and Jennifer in the lab, and this is just going to be incredible. Uh, Marv, thank you so much uh, for, for coming. Um, for those of you who don't know Marv, he's just... He has more energy than all of us put together. Um, and it's because of him that we have this case today. So Marv, you get your own slide, my friend. Thank you so much for that. Yes, yeah. hey, yes. Thanks, thanks. thanks. So um, just that you've already seen my introduction. And by the way, that, that race car picture probably saved my life on Tuesday. I got sideswiped on I-5 into a concrete abutment and had to keep the car from rolling. So anyway, wow. another story. Anyway, that's another video. We should, I hope somebody had a video. Uh, so the case you're going to see, let me begin by saying the following. We have the permission of the everybody involved to use this, to even show the patient's face, to show all the details. So I need to clarify that because this is a very personal case. And as it turns out, the, 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 the victim was the son of one of our emergency department phlebotomy staff. So just so you know that. So again, get that out of the way. So basically, this is a call that had several critical components. Component was, one was do CPR, don't do CPR. Component two, was the, the assailant still at the scene? And what does the EMS do when they hear, I don't know if the assailant's still at the scene? Critical component three was, do you tell the wife to compress or do CPR when she said he's not breathing? Critical component four, was again, what does law enforcement do? And what does EMS do once they're into it? What do you do? Do you do compressions? Do you do all what? And then all the other components that come through at the hospital. And we'll try to summarize that. We're honored that Scotty and Jennifer are here to kind of show us the intrinsic anatomy. And with that, I think it's Leon. Get it. Thank you so much, Mark, for that introduction. Um, and so let's let's get started with the 911 audio. So you should all be able to hear this audio. What I did, I put a timeline out here for you. We're not going to play the entire thing. Just a few clips uh, starting from the very beginning, uh, right at the first 911 call. So let's go ahead right here. Down on the ground and put pressure on the wound. Fire EMS, okay. let's see, address of the emergency. 
This is Shyla. She's with her husband who was stabbed at the Westwood Apartments. Okay, are you there? Yes. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um, these people came into my house. I don't know who they were. I kicked them out, and we got in a fight. He stabbed my husband. Okay, how old is your husband? He's 26. Okay. Is he awake? Yeah, barely. Okay. Are they coming? We're sending them now. Is the attacker still nearby? I don't know. I okay. Okay. He Is had the bleeding serious? Yes, it's very serious. Okay. Blood everywhere. Is he completely alert? No, babe. Okay. He's not breathing. Okay. He's not breathing? No. Okay, we want to lay him flat on his back. What part of his legs are stabbed? Okay, so that, that was the initial part, so you can understand that this lady is doing a really good job. Um, let's, let's move on to the next part where she initiates compressions. And Marv um, alluded to this earlier. What should be, doing, be happening first? She decided to go with compressions. Let's go with that. Is he flat on his back? Yes. Okay, listen carefully. I'll tell you how to do chest compressions. Place the heel of your hand on the breastbone, right between okay. the nipples, and put your other hand on top of that hand. Okay. Pump the, pump the chest hard and fast at least twice per second and two inches deep. And let the okay. chest come all the way up between pumps. We're going to do this until help can take over. Okay. All right, count out loud so I can count with you. Okay, so she does a great job of starting compressions here. And then she, she wants to know if he's breathing. So listen to what she does to evaluate whether he's breathing or not. You okay, baby? Keep breathing. Okay, I want to check his breathing. Okay, I'll put the phone up. Okay, I want you to say now every single time he takes a breath in, starting now. Now, 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 now. Okay. Now. Now. Okay. And he's breathing on his own? Ma'am? No, he's only looking at when I'm doing compression. It's only when you're doing compression that he's breathing like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I found fascinating that she said that. So just think of that physiology and think of perhaps she's doing him a favor there, right? So maybe maybe something's working, right? Let, let, let's move on here now. Um, the entire audio is about 10 minutes long. So let's go to 737. She's still pumping away and listen to her kind of really, she's getting tired and she's, she's really hoping someone shows up. There's blood everywhere, a lot. But you can still hear the compressions. Let's move to 807 at, into 814. With you. I'm getting really tired. He's really pale. He's not breathing on his own. Okay. And then uh, at the end, right before law enforcement comes in, uh, she's asking, she says she's really tired. Can you help? I'm really tired. So I want to take a moment because, and someone's saying it in here, Parker saying, love to hear good dispatchers. Let's take a moment and really celebrate what, what, what this woman did in dispatch. Uh, Marv, let's start with you. Um, th this is incredible. Give us a couple of comments. Uh, first of all, this, I, I would like to tell you this is unusual, but the reality is this is usual for my dispatch crew. I do not think people realize how great a team we have. First of all, they all have to not only become dispatchers, but they all have to become EMTs. So they at least have a perception of what's going on in the field. So that again, number two, every one of them says they have this little word that they hear in their ear every time they have a call that may be a cardiac arrest, hands on chest, hands on chest, because that's my mantra to them. And we review all of this and I will take this case back again to say thank you to them. This case happened several years ago, obviously. But um, yes, um, they, they're good. I always get better, but they're good. 
And they're very proud of what they do. And by the way, the beginning, there was some confusion you could hear. That was the handover from the call receiving center, yes. giving initial instructions to the transfer to the uh, uh, medical, to fire EMS. And, I, think and, that, and, I think that this, I think that this dispatcher, and she's a hero. The, the other thing that hit, hit me around her amazing, the way she was calm and collected and, and spoke to this mother reminds me that it requires an entire system of care, an entire system of care between this initial contact to then obviously law enforcement showed up and then EMS and then obviously hospital care. It is a system of care that we're talking about. So kudos. Excellent. Uh, Mark or Zach, you want to make any comments on that? What, one last comment here. You hear at about that point that the mother shows up. <clears throat> so the wife, now the mother shows up. Uh, she got called in the beginning by the wife of what to do. And the mother was got hysterical and everything got hysterical. And you might hear some of that on the on the uh, video. Right. So here, here's where I wanted to, to just ask a couple of questions here to see if, you know, a lot of people here are wondering CPR on a trauma patient who's bleeding out. And so, again, it, it's probably a rabbit hole we can we can crawl into for a long time. However, um, does anyone here have a comment on, you know, prioritization of what we should be doing? On, the, on these cases or not? Uh, Pete, can you hear me okay? Yeah, Scotty Bollard, yeah. go ahead. So we have, the, we have the ability to look backwards at something which is phenomenal, except now when we, we add in things like March or CAB, we can look backwards and question whether or not they should have stopped the bleeding first because hindsight, clearly 2020, and we know, man, maybe we should have stopped this bleeding first and they probably wouldn't have wound up. But in that particular situation years ago with, with the good Dr. Wayne saying, listen, man, you, you got no pulse, you got to pump on it. They had no choice, I think, in my opinion, but to pump. And I thought about this last night. Now, today, with all the Stop the Bleed programs, you would anticipate that some young man or woman would walk in there, stuff that thing full, stop the bleeding. That's phenomenal. So there's, there's, there's two trains of thought. Do we, do we follow the, the Colonel Hodgetts or the General Hodgetts and stop bleeding right away and then worry about it? Or, or do we start compressions? I think in their case, their starting compressions was brilliant because that's what they were taught to do. And I think that all of the people who are enjoying this, this today need to understand that there, there are suggestions or protocols written for a reason. Now we stop the bleeding, but before that compressions, I personally think that was a good move. I don't know what the other panel folks think, but I thought it was a good move there for them then. Today, oh, I want your finger in that wound. Yeah, it, 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 in retrospect, it was very easy but not, but not all that easy in the middle of a thrash. Right, Mark, you wanna come in on, and, and comment on that? No, I agree. I mean, I, I was actually gonna to defer to Zach or, or Marvel on this one, to be, to be totally honest. I think at the moment, it seems like they did what they were supposed to do and could have hemorrhage control been gotten earlier maybe, but it was only one person on the scene. So it's a really tough, it's a really tough decision mm -hmm. to make if he's in arrest. So we, I can't wait to get to the ultimate outcome because <laughs> as yeah. we'll see, <laughs> It turned out right, well, so, but you, you know well, what? I'm going to spoil that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Zach for another reason. Then, so Zach, you're outside. You're waiting. You're staging because she didn't know if the where the assailant was. What are you thinking when you're sitting out there and you're staging? Should you have gone in or or not? How how do you feel in those situations when you're told to stage? Uh, honestly, you feel horrible because you want to go in. You want to help. That's why you're there. But it's what we're all taught from day one is scene safety. You have to wait until that scene is clear, whether that's from you, um, from your dispatch, waiting for law enforcement, if law enforcement is on scene, clears you in. Um, so I think the best thing is just to, you know, follow your protocols and your guidelines. Don't try to be a hero, but be thinking ahead about what you're going to be walking into. That's a perfect time to be pre-planning and making sure that you and your partner are on the same page about potentially what you're about to see who's going to be doing what and how we, you know, how we fix this immediate life threat when we get in there. Are you also thinking about destination decisions? Absolutely. That, that should, I think in any of these situations, when you're going to call based off what type of, uh, you know, where are you rural? Are you urban? Are you close to a, a trauma center? Do they have to go by a helicopter an hour away? Those are all things that, that you need to be thinking about. You have to rendezvous with somebody that has blood, so it just is going to be dependent on where you are in the country. Perfect. All right, great. That's great commentary. So now let's get to it. James, 
I'm going to stop my share and we're going to go right to the first clip where the law enforcement officer is now running right into the scene. Uh, this first clip is about a minute 30 and you'll watch this whole scene overview. You'll watch the CPR by the wife and you'll watch and place a tourniquet. So James, take it away. I'm coming, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's I'm not here. Okay. Where's it at? Okay. okay, perfect. Hi, sir. Bellingham Police. Okay. 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 Yep. Hold on. I'm gonna get a tourniquet on first. Okay. Yep. Can we get a light on in here? Okay. No worries. I'm right here. Ma'am, hold on, please. Okay. We need. Yep, I got you. Okay. Okay. We're good. Okay. Yep. I'll be with you in just a second, ma'am. Okay. You're good. Let me just. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. We'll get pressure taken care of. Met, the, the suspects are gone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Kay. they left. Okay. That happened. Okay. 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 Good. Right behind the door. Right behind the door. That was incredible. Uh, that you know she was even mentioning, "Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't put pressure because I was doing CPR." What an incredible woman. Um, and some great, uh, some great commentary here. Um, Hillary, we should be pra placing tourniquets more often, shouldn't we, to practice, right? Is that, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, there? When, when's, the la when's the last time you guys uh, opened up a tourniquet and put it on and put it on with someone screaming at you and blood and, everywhere and, and in the dark. Uh, you know, the pressure in the dark. Right. There you go, Zach. So um, make a part of your ambulance checkout, you know, why don't, why don't you, every time you come in and you're checking inventory um, before you get your first call, open up the tourniquet and, and play with it. I had one person tell me, maybe somebody here can tell me if this is true, that that might degrade the material over time, but I, I don't think I believe that. So one, one, common, one comment on that. So there is no right tourniquet out there, but one of the problems uh, was the, all that Velcro that we had to get peeled apart and, and stuff. So that I think that was the issue of degrading if you keep doing it. Um, there are other brands on the market. I'm not getting into tourniquet brands today because it's not our discussion. Uh, but as you see, our law enforcement, and again, this is several years ago. So let's everybody take back to whether she should have held compression or CPR. And one comment that was made, nobody came in to help from the neighbors. And it's the uh-oh squad. Everybody stands around and goes, uh-oh. Right. And, uh, so... Um, thanks for that, Marv. Uh, David and Mark, the anytime someone comes into our trauma bay fully clothed, what, what do we do? Make them trauma naked, get everything off. Right? Exactly. exactly. Exposure. So what exposure. It's A, B, D, C, A, B, C, D, E, exposure. Right. And so, and so here we are as a law enforcement officer. He, he, you know, you'll see the complications that it gets into in a minute and how they fix it in a little bit. But James, take us to the next clip where this, a lot, this law enforcement officer now, after he puts a tourniquet on, he now is gonna go into the next phase of his stopping the bleed. Oh, see what I got. Okay. Yes, uh, you know fire's coming in. They're on their way. You just need to start packing. Where is, uh, where is the person? I don't know, they ran away. I got quick clot. Um, I don't know. He ran inside, was bleeding, so I came in. He pulled out something upstairs and wasn't breathing. Okay, I'm stuffing it. He wasn't breathing, so I did CPR on him. Okay, it's, it's way in the upper thigh. Who all was here when this happened? It was a girl, blonde hair, younger, and a Mexican. Mark, guy. Mark, can you open that? Get gloves on. Yeah. Get gloves on and open that one. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I just need. Now I need an Israeli. Something that I can wrap around it. Okay, I've got it packed. Okay. 
Do you have any idea where they went? Which way they went? That way. Okay. Just direction? rip it. Rip it. Um, girl, okay. Perfect. Hair, I got it. Thank you. I've got combat guys in there. Yeah. Just need to get this stuff out of the way. I can wrap it. Okay. Okay. Wow. Incredible. Um, so he packs a wound with, he says quick cloud he, and he says combat gods and so forth. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to steal Scotty's thunder. He's going to show us really uh, an incredible way to do that in a minute. But um, that looked like a SWAT T to me. Is that, so are they taking that quick clot, the stuff in the wound? And then it seems like they end up wrapping it with what looked to me like a SWAT T mark. Is that what they had? Uh, it was an Israel, it was an Israeli bandage. Okay. Uh, okay, and and so that they'll they end up kind of circling that around. Nope. So what we're going to do now is watch him put that on. So James, let's take it to the next clip. We're now hey, at four twenty-four. Yeah, Scotty, go ahead. Just one second. There are a couple of things that are important, especially for your law enforcement um, viewers. They're taught in combat casualty care that they're going to go high and tight, and they are not removing clothing. So, and in fact, we've had several cases here: a gunshot wound to a three-year-old where they didn't remove the clothing and the clothing actually binding up around the tourniquet was actually beneficial. In this particular case, that officer didn't have the tactical presence to remove that clothing. He was taught high and tight. Then he recognized, and I thought that was brilliant, he recognized that he needed to pack something in there because something was going wrong, but at least the clothing, at least the material. Then you all are talking about, yeah, everybody, and, and Mark, I appreciate that, we're gonna get trauma naked. But the reality is y'all still don't have a clue on how to make anybody naked. You whip out these cheap scissors and they cut nothing. And then your nurses and everybody else keep tearing and you need some kind of a seat cutting, seat belt cutting device. S-cut is one example, but there are many, but a device that will allow you to actually touch and pull and remove clothing quickly. You don't have it, it's not an EMS and it's still not working. And if that's not working, getting to cut down, you need an actual real pair of scissors, not the fake ones. So everybody talks about it, but I think it's this opportunity that officer did exactly what he was taught, which was on it goes high and tight, get control. They did what they had to do and then he stuffed under it. But this clothing removal thing, it's a farce. Nobody's doing it. Love it. Look at those nuggets being dropped by Scotty Balter. All right, beautiful. No, wait, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next clip, James, and, and watch how he uses the, uh, the Israeli bandage and, and wraps it up. Okay. So it's right in there. So it's just. What do you want with the direct a, pressure? I've got the direct pressure right now. Okay. To wrap this, Sarge. Yeah. Around here. Okay. It's high up in his thigh. The tourniquet can't get that high. So maybe we. I'm just holding it right now. Okay. Okay, medics are here, guys. Right? Let's let medics in. Okay. Yep. Okay. Got a tourniquet, but I can. I've got it as high as I can. Okay. I've got direct pressure right now, but I can't wrap it really good because okay. it's right in his his hip. His groin. There. Yep. Okay. Right in his groin. Hey, grab some uh, sealock. Yep. All right. Perfect. So you see the medics have come in. They, we have it here around 5:30. So you take the 11 plus the 5:30. This is around 16 minutes now into the injury. Um, and now the next thing you're going to see is that there's going to be more packing with more gauze and the exposure occurs. So James, let's take it to the before, next. Before, before, oh. he does, before he does that, I want to say yep. one thing. I've said it before in some other episodes. C communication is the core. Good communication is the core essence of, of good practicing good medicine. And one of the things I really like about this particular individual is he's verbalizing what he's doing to the team. He's verbalizing every step. He's observing and verbalizing. So everyone knows what he's thinking about. And I cannot emphasize, and he's calm. So I can't, cannot emphasize the, uh, that and, and uh, you're there on the scene and you're aware of what's happening because of how articulate this particular medic is. Please roll. What a, that, that, what that's a all, great comment. Mean officer. Mean officer. Yeah. Thank yes. You. Yeah, no, that, that was a great comment, you know, and, and David, it's interesting. It worries me that all the, the teenagers text today and you hope that there are new medics have these great communication skills and our police officers, great, great comment. All right, 
Uh, James, let's take it to the next phase where he's where more packing is now occurring. Agonal breathing still. He's got some agonal breathing still. So, where are you guys at down here? Let's right here is the wound. Let's I've pack packed it. it with quick clot. I can use more if you have it. Yep, okay, I'll keep packing. Sarge, can you move that? Yeah. I've got in there. I've got a SWAT bandage wrapped around it, but it's, his pants are getting in the way between that and the tourniquet. So, if we can get rid of his pants, we can move the tourniquet up. I'm holding pressure, so if someone can do that. He's got two layers on. All right, really nice. So you finally hear the, the trauma shears are coming in. So, so Scotty, let me kick it back to you then. So now they're recognizing that the clothing is in the way and they now make the decision to get everything off, correct? Is that, is that good? Yeah, it is good. And they're getting it off and they're doing the best they can. Tactically, they were doing the first thing that they were taught, but now they're getting their clothes. So S-cut, get it out of the way or at least right through the belt, get everything removed and then get a good view on it. And they're as high as they possibly can, but that officer quickly recognized, man, that thing is higher than my tourniquet is. Like there's something going on here. And he's trying to stuff more, more um, impregnated gauze in there. But we know that the impregnated gauze isn't gonna work until it's near the thing that's effing bleeding. And he's gotta get in there close. So they're recognizing this. And Marvin, I don't know how you do it to get your translation all the way down to your law enforcement like that. But I am slow clapping like a seal because that is phenomenal. Yeah, and, right. and every one of our police officers is proud to have an AED sticker on the back of their car. Uh, Zach, let me let me bring you in. You 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 just saw EMS entry, and you know someone who's been there many many times. What are you thinking now as you're as you're right there at the patient side? Well, the first thing is that that officer knows what he's doing, so keep letting him do what he's doing. Don't, don't go in there and have to get out of the way. Assist him because he, he's shown that he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, make sure that you find exactly where it is bleeding. And then that's maybe the point where you're, and, and Scotty's about to go into it, but you're going to get that finger in there, get that knee in there, make sure that you do get the bleeding stopped because he's already to the point where we saw a picture of his face where he's, he's lifeless. There's, yeah. He has no circulating blood volume. So my thoughts are we have to get this stopped, but we have to get something in him now or it's going to be off or not. So we're, we've got to do uh, you know, rapid extrication to get him to a surgeon, but no offense to, to the docs. If we don't get him there alive with some sort of, of, of circulating volume, then it's not going to, it's, we've, you know, we haven't done our job. So continue to get the bleeding stopped, get him out of there, get volume in him and, and get him to the hospital as soon as you can. Beautiful. Can, so I'll go Peter, ahead. If I can do a quick, yeah, quick plug for more training. Um, I've only used C-locks or, or quick clot gauze once in my career. And um, when we opened it, we all looked at each other and realized it was the first time we'd ever touched it. Don't let that happen to you. Make sure that you've actually opened and played with uh, your your equipment. And um, in this case, I just want to tell, it's kind of a funny story that the, the C-locks was in an accordion fashion, um, lined up like that. And mm -hmm. someone thought that they should open it up and use it like a bandage and wrap the wound. They didn't realize it was a packing system. So just, you know, this stuff happens yeah. to us in EMS and we need to be ready yep. uh, and understand what we're doing. Amazing point. All right, I, I, Let, let's, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Just very quick. I think the key, they're all, all the dressings have pros and cons, but the main thing is to get control and get packing. And Scotty will show us that key point. Yeah, so we have, I have two short clips and then we're gonna get right to Scotty. So uh, James, let's get to the next one where we get fully exposed. Free oxygen bottle. Let's uh, get as much cut as we can. Okay. And then here, hand me this because this will work to wrap it. We got it. Hang on, hang on, hang on, bud. And then let's get, get working on his, on his airway there. No problem. And we O2 bottle. O2's right here. That was O2's right there. Cut off the sleeve there. So I've cut. Okay, it's okay. Just go ahead and start it. You got direct pressure. Yep, I got it. Yep. Cut the line. Cut the line. Yep. You can see how hard they're working here to get control. Let's move to the next one because I, I don't want to uh, shortchange Scotty or, or the end of the case. Listen, we're now going to 827 where they're now going to re, um, readjust the tourniquet a little higher. What do you need? What do you need? Oh, I was just going to try to help you. 
trying to get this tourniquet up high enough to stop everything. You're doing a fan protection here? Okay. Stop you on the side. 30. Okay. Yeah. Now let's get this up as high as we can. Okay, go ahead and tighten that thing down. Can you remove the white part so I can strap it in? Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to um, just quickly demonstrate the injuries he had, and then I'm going to go right to Scotty and Jennifer in the lab. So just real quick, and then we're going to get to the live demonstration. Uh, this is from Marv, right? So Marv uh, gave us all the uh, the uh, isolated injuries. This this person had a transected uh, femoral artery. Yeah, you know what? That's Google for you. Sorry, that was my fault. Uh, right, it was on the other side. No, uh, but Scott, Scott, yeah, <laughs> so he transected a femoral artery. He transected the great saphenous vein, which you can see is um, isolated there and more, more medial. And then he transected the femoral nerve. So. Now the question is how to stop the bleed. And there is no better person in the world to do this. So I'm going to stop my share and we're going to go right to Scotty uh, and Jennifer um, there in Texas. And um, Scotty, take it away. Thanks. Um, here, and and it's, it is a pleasure to be here. There are a couple of things that I wanted to make a comment on. Zach, I thought your comments were great. In this particular case, um, rapid extrication was that, that tactical application of some bleeding control and they had to get that patient out of here. And I think that they were really working on that. In our particular case, and I'll put a plug in for um, those that work with whole blood programs, we have ours here. Um, this access would have been a key thing the second they got out the door and whole blood would have been running within moments of that. So I know, I know they were thinking and the medic was working that direction. I'm now looking as we, as we adjust this camera here, we have an 89 year old male specimen named Kenneth. So Kenneth is a little bit, a little bit older than the specimen you have here, I'm going to orient to what what um, what Pete had originally uh, had up on the screen a second ago. Here's his iliac crest, the anterior margin. His symphysis pubis over here. Jennifer's about to reach up here, and she's going to identify where the artery is. We're going to dissect down there, but we're going to notice in the video if you look at it. And then that was the first time I'd ever seen that video. But that injury looks like it's right here. Now, in a lot of people's interpretations, arteries snap back, so they're not snapping anywhere. So arteries have connective tissue around them. The problem is that the laceration may be here, but the knife wound carried clearly up into this particular individual. In this particular case, I happen to know from Marvin that it also happened in Nick's bowel. So the bottom line was the knife was coming in and working its way up, but the initial injury is not necessarily where the bleeding is. So while they were trying to put a tourniquet on, they were low, but they were still packing. This was a finger approach every day of the week. So the injury was low, but the injury itself to the actual vascular structures was actually higher than that, with the knife then continuing up further. So where the cut is, is not necessarily where the injury is, and the artery didn't snap. Let's let Jennifer get in here. And Jennifer has never met Kenneth, so she's about ready to begin her dissections. And as Jennifer begins her dissection, she's going epidermis, dermis, to subcutaneous tissue. And as she does that, you'll notice there's a significant amount of subcutaneous tissue. And I'm going to bring you down closer. Hold there for a second. And the subcutaneous tissue that she's working through, this initially for the inexperienced medic, you look at the depth of this and you begin to think to yourself, my God, man, this is a horrific injury. Nope, haven't cut anything yet. Not a big deal at all. In fact, this is fun for most of the ER staff because this is just a really wonderful closure. But as Jennifer works her way down, she's beginning to identify some fascia. She's staying away from that vessel right there, which is just tributary, no big deal. But she's working away with the front and the back of the scalpel. And you notice that she quickly, quickly worked her way from epidermis to dermis to subcutaneous tissue, which then subsequently exposed the fascia. She's using a device here that we carry in the field. These are called Wheatlanders, and they're just, oh my God, it's an extra pair of hands. That's all it is. Now what she's doing is she's going to remove the fascia and some of the connective tissue 
which is allowing her to get a little bit deeper. Now you're seeing the sartorius muscle there. It's gonna be over on this patient's side, so on the left-hand side lateral, knowing that that injury was medial to that. I also happen to notice that there's some bruising here, and this bruising in this particular area was from an IV stick, either a central line or lab draws, but that's okay, we're gonna use that. So now she's working her way down through the connective tissue, and I'm gonna bring the camera a little bit closer and closer and closer and closer, and as we bring it down a little bit closer, you'll see that she's using to separate. And lo and behold, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, you've just found yourself medial. So if you put your hand on your iliac crest, and then you go between the symphysis pubis and the iliac crest, you've worked your way down to the femoral artery, femoral vein, and medial, or sorry, lateral to that, you're going to find the nerve. Now, Jennifer's going to pick those up really quick, and I'm going to grab another pair of meat landers, and I'm going to separate those out for us. And as I separate that out, you begin to see, and we'll bring you even a little bit closer here because, gosh dang, welcome to television. How fun is this? So now we get there. Now you're at the artery. So in this particular case, this individual clearly had a significant laceration to both probably the artery and the vein. Marvin, you can weigh in there. I'll also make a plug here real quick to our orthopedic friends. In this particular case, Kenneth has a little bit of atherosclerotic buildup. You do realize that if you're working on the guy that ate nothing but, I don't know, picket, brisket, fried chicken, carne asada, and pizza that tastes good, and their artery is really, really, really super hard, you do know that your tourniquet isn't going to crush that. So all of the folks that say tourniquets always work, you do realize that it might still come back to wound packing, and it still might come back to pressure dressings. And I think, Pete, you're living over in Florida so everybody that, that winds up in Florida at the age of about 75 plus, no offense, Marvin, um, every one of those guys, you do realize that all of those vascular structures are not quite the same as they were when we were young and healthy, like the patient in mind. Now, so, Scotty, quickly, Scotty, can I make a quick, quick comment Go ahead, sir. And, and ask you a question to comment on? So she, he had a transected femoral artery, which in reality is probably better than some kind of a skiving laceration. Because transections, the, the muscularis will do some level of constriction. Whereas if you cut a vein, veins don't have any muscularis layer and veins don't constrict. Thanks, Mark. And I think that one of the things that you'll notice here, and oh, we're fixing to transect that bad boy. But I think that one of the things that you'll notice here as you're looking down, Jennifer is being really nice when she dissected. This, the assailant in this particular case wasn't quite as pleasant with it and just shoved the knife straight in. So while again, and I may, I'll, use my, I'll use my pen here like this and I'll use a probe. While the knife entered down here, sorry, I'm gonna use my, my pen because it's a little clearer. While the knife entered here, the actual injury was up there. So this is where the problem, see how everybody's bobbing their head right now? There we go. So here comes the snapback. No snapback, you just missed where the injury is. How about that being your snap? So then with the transaction way up here, now we arrive at the problem. So let's learn, let's turn to Jennifer here real quick. She'll dissect there and you'll actually notice the femoral veins under it is a little bit, but she's gonna dissect a little farther up now and she's gonna identify the inguinal ligament. So now we're moving a little bit further up and that wound itself, and I'm gonna bring I'm going to bring Jenna Lou up here a little bit to get a better view. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'm going to bring Jenna Lou up a little higher. So now that wound, which was here, which lacerated here, continued on up above the inguinal ligament. So let's talk about what we needed to do. There's the inguinal ligament, her fingers going under that. So hindsight, again, 2020, I, I, amazing that these guys and girls even got in here and did all of this. But you've got to have the ability to move your finger left and right over the structure. And, and I can tell you, and I, I think you need Colonel Mayberry, who just received the Distinguished Service Cross. I think you need to have him and some of his colleagues in on some of these type of, of situations. We work very closely with the military on it. But I can tell you for sure that right now my finger is following that. Can you adjust the camera, Jennifer? My finger is, is following this artery, and I'm actually up underneath the inguinal ligament. And now I am actually moving up into this guy's pelvis. And I am now putting my finger at the floor of his pelvis, but I still feel here. I am still feeling his artery, so I have a pen. Now, while I feel really bad about this, I'm gonna to turn to Pete and Marvin. I'm gonna lean over there to all my trusted colleagues, Mark, and I'm gonna say, hey, I really feel bad about being in your ER, but my finger's at the floor of this guy's pelvis. 
And since none of you guys are surgeons, I'm going to stand right here now and I'm going to wait for you to go get one of your buddies that's an actual surgeon because now they're going to have to dive into this guy's pelvis. And in Zach's particular case, or in the case of the folks that work here, in our particular case, oh, there'd have been a hell of a lot of blood. So between me and Brook Army Medical Center or me and University Hospital, there are seven units of blood, whole, ready, waiting to go. So I will tell you right now that if your system does not have a whole blood component or, pay, or, or the ability to vamp or whatever, if you don't have it, you need it. All right, so then now we're on to what you um, oh. Before I move on to the next step, I think it's really important to make sure that we can no longer just assume that I can apply pressure straight down thinking that that's gonna actually work. Do you notice as I get my probe and I'm going, I think it's kind of a lateral here. I just went straight onto the vessel and I dropped my knee down, dropped my hand. I'm doing some type of direct pressure. I'm all the way through this limb right now, touching the table that Kenneth happens to be laying down on. So that means they're just pushing straight down against that patient's adipose tissue, bleeding more muscle to the backside of the leg, down to the skin, down to essentially nothing. So the real direct pressure of stopping somebody bleeding, you have to get it to something that's really hard. So I have to find the patient's bone. So if you look at this probe, this would be the direction for me to get direct pressure right now. So I would have to open that injury, move blood out of the way, fill oh, these good wait, 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 wait. You mean actually open the injury and dig in there and get the blood out and be like a ferret on a cockroach? You mean get in there yes. and attack it. But Actually, yet, yes. all these EMS guys were taught just put more and more dressing on top, on top, on top, on top. No more of that. You got to open it, get in there, get on it, and be aggressive. And that's the problem. We were always taught. But yet, here's the deal not one surgeon in the history of the word surgeon ever covered it up and hit it. They always went down and they found it. So we in the EMS world, or we in the pre-hospital, or in the hospital ED world, have got to go find it, open it, and get it. So now she's saying push directly on the structure that is injured. So open it up. Don't rely on your eyes because like you saw in the video, and just like you're seeing here, blood stains everything. So you're just going to see dark blood in that area. So you have to get a tactile appreciation of the vessel. Mm. So we're traveling and they're moving fat, filling these Don't guitar worry. strings, and I'm trying to grab those guitar strings up against some bone here. So in this particular case, I'm following the red probe and I'm pulling towards my abdomen to get direct pressure. Not pushing straight down because this patient, just similar to the case that we're reviewing, is unresponsive, which means their leg is laterally rotated. So that femur is way out here in the lateral aspect here. Oh, That's you need anatomy, you need anatomy matters. Anatomy so matters. Okay. Yes. All right, so now let's go ahead and whack that artery where the actual injury is. And then let's talk about control. So the problem is, see, this is why I work with her. It is terrible. You should just come here. And so now this injury is here. So now if I point iliac crest, if I point to the iliac crest and I point to where the injury is, this is too high for a tourniquet. They were at a point where, and while the tourniquet was awesome and they were using it to hold their packet in, that's great. That finger needed to go in above the injury and pull it toward the artery. I'm sorry, and pull it toward the bone. Now, in this, case, in this particular case, they were having trouble. But now let's talk wound packing. So there are lots of gauzes that, and hey, man, you can do, and you guys all talk about being impregnated or not. I don't really care. All I'm interested in is the line. I just want to be able to see whatever it is that you're shoving in there and whatever it is that's tight. So in this particular case, Jennifer, and I'm going to be the actual, she's got her finger on it. Can I switch hands? She, she, okay. She's got her finger on it. And what's going to happen is she's going to start wound packing. So I want you to know that, hey, and no plug for those guys, but if you type in bleeding management and you went into, we, we have live videos of this stuff on, on a live, but we have videos of actual cadaver wound packing online. And I don't want to talk bad about anybody like the ACS or anything, but they got it wrong. So you can't just stuff a sausage. You have to deliberately pack the thing that is the problem. So you'll notice that Jennifer is deliberately packing underneath their fingers. And I'll plug it, I'll put a plug in here for the conscious patient that this hurts like a son of a gun, but you're going to have to really get in there and pack this thing. If you're carrying ketamine or something, fine, a little shot of tequila in the ass will probably be okay, but you've got to do something about it. So she's packing, packing until that thing, which was in this particular case, and I'm going to remove the wheat landers because the injury was down here, and I'm going to remove that because it wasn't there. So she was packing tight. They were trying to pack this thing and trying to get this. I'm going to move it down a little bit. They were trying to pack this area. 
they needed to continue packing that until it was so completely full and bounding out. And then they needed to put pressure on it. One more last point here. And so let's say that Jennifer had packed this completely full. She's got this backpack and she's got her paw on it and she ain't moving. Now, if I take any anticoagulants or Motrin or Tylenol or all of them all at the same time, oh, I'm still gonna keep bleeding. So for the older patient, can't let go. Now, this will also be the moment then really quickly where we talk about some of the junctional tourniquets which are currently available on market. And there are quite a few of those tourniquets which are available. And I ain't plugging in one, I'm Switzerland and it's all, dude, you do what you want. But there are tourniquets that offer that offer particular types of inflation devices that go directly over the inguinal ligament. But keep in mind, you want to use your skeleton, but keep in mind that in this particular case, over the, and I'm on the older shoulder, so I'm over here, I'm over the older one like this. So now come down a little bit right there. So here's the femur here, but you'll notice the synthesis pubis here, but there is the inguinal ligament, which Jennifer has here, but there is, as she rotates this, space. You must accommodate, if you're putting your junctional tourniquet in this space, you must accommodate for something that pushes through here. If you don't, you don't control. So that means you're gonna to need to pack something in that space, good enough. So they have other tourniquets that go there. They also have tourniquets that go over the abdomen. Those tourniquets come up higher. Those tourniquets that come over the abdomen, pain, it's all relative. I just want you to know I put one on and I pumped that thing up until I tapped out and it hurt. So I'm just here to tell you, that thing is gonna go above the iliac crest into here and crush the aorta. The problem with that is if it's a little bit too far left or too far right, manufacturers will tell you no more than three either direction. Well, then that thing's not gonna work. But if you put your knee on that spot right there, you do know your knee's gonna slip off. So again, you fail. Which then takes us to the point where you either, you either wind up in, you either wind up in cross clamping, which is what gets what happens here in the street now. You're either cross clamping the aorta, or you're working your way you're working your way into Reboa, which is something that you would find in EVs. And there's a protocol going through right now for pre-hospital Reboa in San Antonio. In this particular case, it's a catheter that would have had to have gone up the unaffected side and down into zone three, which is in the abdomen, and to inflate. All of that is for physicians to discuss. All of that is coming square at everyone in your home beauty audience. Something needed to happen here. I will tell you that fingertip control, they were packing, that's great, it, it was wonderful. But packing, they needed to come up underneath the inguinal limit and get fingertip control. I'll stop there for any questions from the panel or from the audience. So Scotty, uh, yeah. Peter Manage, three yeah. quick comments. Number one, there is no perfect packing material. Number two, uh, Scotty's points of exposure is so critical but so hard to do in the field. Uh, I was a surgeon in another life, but that was back in the days of Joseph Lister. You know, uh, I was in Vietnam and we didn't believe in tourniquets in those days. So we had to do a lot of this, cut open the wound and pack and occlude high. And so that was the good information was what Scotty just showed is critical, but in the field, you're limited on what you can do. So the idea is realize somebody made the comment, well, if you're not sure where it is, you always go proximal, always proximal. Proximal because the bleeding is distal. It doesn't matter if you're in the exact spot, but you want to get up into, into an area that, that may work. Mark, I have a wait, before you go there, I have a quick question. You had mentioned something about how a man stabs versus how a woman stabs. Can you go yeah, through that yeah. real quick? We only have 10 yeah. minutes. Okay. Women traditionally, and I think this has changed, stab down. Men traditionally stab up because that's sort of the gang teachings. And in Denver, when I did my surgical residency back in the dark ages, we could really predict almost which way the wounds were by whether it was a man or a woman stabbing. Just a commentary. Uh, one really important last point. Uh, <clears throat> the idea that a junctional tourniquet conceptually is great, but there is that dead space that it needs to be, to be occupied. So when all else fails, if you're gonna use a junctional, you've got to fill in the areas. And I have here on the screen, um, and again, we have no, no disclosures here. We don't, we don't have any financial uh, conflicts here, but I have the, the four that are quote unquote approved. The SAM, this is how it's placed here. Um, then we have the, uh, the JET, which uh, is a junctional emergency treatment tool. Again, I haven't used this one. Th this one looks a little antiquated. This is the first one that was ever approved, the PROC. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's, again, maybe someone here has experience with it. 
And then mm. this is what Scotty just mentioned, the AAJT, uh, the abdominal aortic and junctional uh, tourniquet, which just cuts off at zone three in the abdominal aorta. Um, um, does anyone have any comments about, uh, I know Mark, Mark was saying that in the military, they'll improvise. Does anyone have any comments here about using an improvised device? Scotty, let me throw it to you first. And, and I want to ask Scotty specifically about the effectiveness. If you don't have any of this equipment, no gauze with you, you're the first one on the scene, your knee in the groin right at the inguinal ligament, how effective is just uh, the full weight of your body with a knee on that uh, to try to get control? Thanks, Mark. I think that the first one is if, if your knee isn't targeting the artery and the artery against a bone, your hose, no, sorry, your patient's hose. So that whole just put it on there and just sort of generally cause pain to the patient isn't actually doing anything. Again, in our particular view, your knee would have had to have come toward the actual injury. So sorry, toward the injury, injury toward bone. So just blindly shoving your leg on there with no purposeful placement, it pales in comparison to your finger. We're involved in lots of different research projects. The AAJT is one in the street right now that we're doing. And that's the city of San Antonio, Dave, Miramontes, AJ, CJ at all. But the reality is that, that it has to be targeted. So even the AAJT, if the AAJT isn't in the correct location, if it's lateral in one direction or the other, then it's not going to work. So we do know that it must be targeted. What do we know works? We know your damn finger on that artery and that artery against that bone, we know that works. So start there. As far as improvised devices go, oh my God, this, I'm coming up on my 40th year and I have seen them in place so many times and they're awesome. I will always applaud common sense, but it must be targeted common sense. So if okay. people are afraid to use their finger bare, grab a rag, grab a towel, grab a kitchen towel. There's anything, it, somehow that gives you a confidence of what you're doing. Yeah, so but Barb, you're the oldest one in the room, and so we blame you for telling us that we couldn't put our fingers in there. And since you were a surgeon before, it was all you guys that said only a surgeon can fix it. We need to unf that and make sure. Hey, I'm reformed. I'm reformed. Yeah, they got to get in it. They got to get in it. And we just that's I think that's if there's a takeaway from this thing, get in the wound. So yep. in this particular case, and I think Jennifer is saying you you got to get in there. Got to pack that <laughs> and get in it. All right, so. She was going to shove north of the inguinal ligament. I, I noticed that some of y'all are saying that you carry that SAM tourniquet. You have to make sure that you're filling that voided spot. So before you plug in that little um, kind of puff oh. there, you want to lift up that ligament so you can fill the voided space and then apply that pressure down. So similar, wow. if you're just going to go straight to dropping your knee in that yep. right area, it doesn't fill that void. Everybody has this little groove and that's where your vascular bundle is running at. So uh, dropping a knee down doesn't allow it to get there. So grab a roller gauze, stuff it underneath there, then drop some pressure on top of it. So I, I would just love to know whether or not, you know, Colonel Holcomb or any of the other surgeons would be in the room right now. We could have invited some had we known, but we're now shoving something in the abdomen. Everybody's like, oh my God, stop doing that. The only reason they told us to quit stuff in the abdomen is because you don't have enough stuffing. So you give me enough stuffing, I will pack that thing until it stops bleeding. But in this particular case, Jennifer is filling the void. So they have plenty of room in this junction and clearly up in your shoulder region, plenty of room to pack those. Okay, we're out. Go ahead, you guys are incredible. Wow. I mean, I've learned so much in the last you know, 55 minutes. So we're gonna we're gonna now move to the to the EMS side of things. So uh, the, the patient was removed from the from the from his home. Uh, CPR was continued. Um, Marv just a couple of seconds here of, they intubated him with an ITD, IO times two, gave some fluid, and then transported to a level two trauma center. Your comment. Yeah, we only have one hospital, so that made that easy. Uh, my comments are, arguments were made. Do we use Lucas to do the CPR? Uh, that was one question. And they decided to use their hands for a variety of reasons. Two, we don't carry whole blood. Uh, the Puget Sound area blood banks don't carry whole blood. We're still dealing with that right now. That's another topic. Um, we ventilatory support. We tried to, you know, match ventilations and get a good end title. And that was critical too to get the end title up. Hospital. Yeah, that's exactly actually what it would look like. Right. Um, right. So the they actually he arrested again in the trauma room. They got him back. They said, shit, now what do we do? Uh, pardon my expression. But they basically uh, took him up to the OR. Vascular surgeon came in. Uh, trauma surgeon came in and you see what happened. 
They never did fix the nerve because the nerve sheath protector to do the branch was right. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I, yeah, I see Dave's on this call. I'm honored that Dave joined us. They probably see more of this in a day than we see in two years. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Awesome. So he, he got uh, um, exploratory laparotomy, fixed the abdominal issue, total of six units of packed red cells, eight FFP, one platelet, two cryo. Um, this guy, yeah. this guy was dead several times. They brought him back to life. Incredible job by the, not just the EMS staff, of course, the ED staff, OR staff, and then up into the ICU where he was in hemorrhagic shock. He cardiac arrested secondary to hypovolemia. Um, and it ended up, you know, having some, some permanent damage. Um, but Marv is, was there an outcome here that we're ready to share here? So here's the, 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 you know what they say, the rest of the story, after all is said and done, there he is. This was uh, April 20, 2018, uh, three months after. He still has problems. He's still got some memory issues, hippocampal and otherwise. Uh, and the baby is not quite so little, but we can all say the end of the story was certainly much more successful than we thought at the beginning of the story. A lot to have learned from this case. I am very honored, um, you know, that we were allowed to present this. And yes, as Dave comments and everybody else comments, like we did with the airway presentation, it wasn't perfect. We all learn. And as time goes on, we hopefully learn more. But we hope that this has at least motivated others to get their dispatchers well-trained, to get their law enforcement well-trained, to get their law enforcement equipped with the right tools, to get EMS to understand, especially for something that we don't see very often where I live. Knives and guns are rare, becoming less rare, but rare up here in the far reaches of the Pacific Northwest. Well, Marv, listen, I wanted to say for everyone on this call today, your EMS system, your law enforcement system there, you know, you, you provide great leadership. So I have your picture here because you know what? You're, you're the one who makes the impact and, and, and all the folks who work under you really deserve a lot of credit. Dispatchers all the way through, the hospital folks. So great leadership, my friend. Thank you so much for what you do. We really honor you for that and always love to have you on the show. Well, one last comment. The word is they don't work under me. Uh, we work together. Uh, there's no, say that. There's no, you know that. There's no I and we. <laughs> and I always Correct. emphasize that. Uh, I only have the old age. We have the great skills and talents. Thank well, you. Well, it's people like you. Uh, you, you mentioned Dave Miramontes. Uh, obviously, you know, David, Mark, and others on this call, and, and, and many, many of us who are very privileged to work with those in the field who I think are the real heroes here. So let's go around the horn for some quick take-home points. But before we get to, uh, to our panel, let's bring in Dr. Miramontes. Dave, give us a couple of good nuggets uh, from your perspective in San Antonio. So I think Hillary brought it up, drain, 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 drain. So you have to pull out C-locks or gone by guys or whatever. You have to understand how it's packaged, how to put it in. Shove, 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 shove some more, push it to the bone. Push it to the bone, baby. That's the story. And if you haven't had the opportunity to do a, a body lab or cadaver lab, find a medical school near you, find a medical examiner that'll help you and go train on real tissue. Beautifully said. Scotty just left us, so we, 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 we were yeah. lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, let, let's go to Zach. Zach, what are your thoughts on this? What, what, what you could tell everyone on this call today? Just absolutely incredible. I think it, it brings home Dr. Spiro's point in the beginning. Um, there was no fancy tools used here. There was no amazing new, uh, you know, medical device or anything. This was, this was the basics that saved this guy's life. And it was from... The dispatcher, the police officer, we forget about them so often. We have to include them in our training. When you train, like Dr. Marimonta says, it has to be realistic. You've got to do it in the dark. You've got to do it with your, your hands covered in water, fake blood, whatever. Um, and at the end of the day, this case right here is why we do this. Whatever our role is, this is so powerful to see. This, is, this one out of a million is why every one of us are here today and why we're so passionate about it. So just I can't say enough about what a great job. Those of us who do have whole blood and, and we, we use we use a light flow and we have the Q and flow, the, the warmer and everything. I mean, um, I, I do see a future where people are going to be using whole blood more and more. Uh, Dave, obviously, in, in San Antonio started this off and 
is going to change the world. I, I hope, like Scotty said, that many, many more of us start to use it. Scotty, Jennifer, your entire team, give, give us your, 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 you know, maybe a final couple of points. You guys were incredible today. This was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Uh, give us some takeaways before Hillary takes us away. Thanks. It's quick for us. Um, number one, you've got to quit faking it. Um, you got to get in there and you got to find the real stuff. So um, Dave's comment about finding a lab near you is really not a joke. The other one after that one is whole blood. Like if you don't, if, if you don't know how to get a whole blood program going in your area, then you call Dave or you call some of the other folks and get it done. This would have been a case that might have been changed by that in hindsight. Great, but real training, real blood. That's it. You guys are awesome. Hillary, take us away. You all said it. Uh, I just want all of you to keep training, keep telling your people what works, uh, keep using real cases like this. We have lots of stuff in our library for you to look at. So get on that YouTube channel. And um, I want to see all the educators using this in their classroom. That's all I have. I think uh, it's been an incredible episode. Happy 4th of July. Everyone stay safe. No bad firework injuries, please. And uh, we'll see you in August. And let's, and let's also just big thanks to uh, James Prodigy EMS. You are incredible. Uh, all this video, the way it all gets put together. Uh, we're, we're huge fans and just thanks for the friendship, James. We appreciate you.